join us at a wonderful time of the year because Thanksgiving is officially over. And as you walked into the lobby this morning, you saw the, the tree, the decorations. Christmas season has begun. And Christmas is beginning here at Connect. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe right after Thanksgiving, you were super excited to get your uh, Black Friday shopping deals going, but uh, I'm kind of sad that online shopping has replaced the, the shopping in the stores, because to me, that was part of the Christmas tradition. It was the, it was the spirit of the holidays. It was the true meaning of Christmas. It was a time of hope and happiness, peace and goodwill to all men as we ventured out to shop together. Do you remember these days? <laughs> Black Friday isn't quite what it used to be. without the occasional good-natured disagreement. See, it's just sitting on your laptop shopping. It takes away some of the spirit of Christmas, doesn't it? Just the, the joy of being out and being able to shop with your fellow man for a great deal. But uh, Christmas has officially begun, and uh, one of the ways we know that is that three weeks ago, they started playing Christmas music in stores, so we knew that Christmas was coming. And uh, I love Christmas music. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm a big, big fan of Christmas music. I'm also a believer that there can be too much Christmas music. Um, I'm married to a wonderful lady who doesn't believe that. She thinks there can never be enough Christmas music. So it causes a little bit of tension in the Jane household, the Jane car, when we're driving places. But um, because of my love for Christmas music, I thought we would do a series this year at Christmas time based around some Christmas music, looking at the message of Christmas through the lens of Christmas music. Now, we're not gonna be looking for a hidden spiritual meaning in Grandma Got Run Over by a uh, Reindeer. Uh, we're gonna focus more at some of the more traditional Christmas songs, the Christmas carols. And we sang one this morning, O Holy Night. And that's the one we're gonna start off with this morning. We're gonna take a look at the Christmas carol, O Holy Night, and we're gonna look for the message of Christmas in it. Um, try, and, try and discover what that song, that message could be saying to us this morning as we start our Christmas series. So, a little bit of history about uh, the origin of this song, O Holy Night. So, O Holy Night was actually written in 1843. Uh, and what's interesting is the original idea for this carol, it came from a French parish priest, and he asked a friend of his, a man by the name of Placide Capot de Roquemore, he was French, so as you can tell by my, my amazing French there. Uh, the priest asked Placide, would you write a poem? You're such a great poet. Would you write a poem inspired by the words of Luke chapter 2? Because if you're familiar with Luke chapter 2, it's a wonderful chapter that really kind of um, just recounts the Christmas story. And it's just a great story to read at Christmas time. And, and this parish priest thought it would be great if his friend, the poet, could write uh, a poem based on Luke chapter 2. Now, 
What's unique about this situation is that Placide was not only not a Christian himself, he was actually kind of known in the area as a little bit of a hellraiser. He was very far from God. He didn't go to church at all, but he was a very good poet. So he wrote the words that we sang this morning in French, obviously. Four years later, the poem grew so popular across France that another man by the name of Adolphe Adam, he put music to it. Now, Adam was a Jew, meaning he was writing music for a poem about a day he didn't celebrate and a man that he did not view as the son of God. But this new song now, this poem with this music, it became so popular in the Catholic Church in Europe at that time that it was sung all over the country every Christmas for many years until suddenly some of the church leaders learned of the history of this song. That it was written and uh, the, the music was put together by an atheist and a Jew and they said, we can't sing this anymore. So they tried to put a stop to it, but it gained so much popularity that it continued to be sung around the country. So popular was it that a man in America in 1855, an American Unitarian minister by the name of John Sullivan Dwight, he heard this French song being sung. He loved the music, he loved the words, so he translated it into English. The version that we sang this morning was translated by this man, John Sullivan Dwight. Now he too added to the controversy. Controversy, controversy, controversy. One of those two. I can't remember what's English and what's American. So he added to the controversy. <laughs> controversy, it is. It's, yeah, thank you. <laughs> One of them's right. He was an abolish. Uh, he was against slavery, <laughs> and um, so he loved. There was a, a verse in um, the third verse of the song that we didn't sing this morning that talks about breaking chains. So he translated it a little bit um, loosely as chains shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. So this became very controversial, this song, as it was sung in America, but it still gained popularity. So much so that we still sing it today. Another fascinating fact I found out about this song, and we will start talking about the Bible in a minute, but this song is just fascinating the way it was written. In 1906, uh, a Canadian by the name of Reginald Fessenden, uh, he was a 33-year-old Canadian professor. He did what many people thought was impossible. He made from just tools in his garage and a, a makeshift generator, uh, the very first device that when he plugged in a microphone broadcast AM radio for the first time ever. Up till now, radio around the world had simply been an end-to-end transmission and all that was broadcast was Morse code. But thanks to Reginald Fessenden, he discovered how to actually change the radio waves and on Christmas Eve in 1906, he became the very first person to broadcast over the airwaves and the words he spoke were Luke chapter two, verse one. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. And he continued to read Luke chapter two. After reading the Christmas story, he took his violin and he played the very first song ever broadcast across airways in the history of the world. And the song, O Holy Night. It said that ships up to 12 miles away out at sea 
that were used to just hearing the beeps of Morse code coming through their radio suddenly heard words spoken for the first time, heard this song played for the very first time. It got me wondering if Reginald was so excited that he just played it again and again and again. And after a while, it began hundreds of years ago, this idea of Christmas music is being played too much on the radio. It started with Oh Holy Night and it goes on today with Mariah Carey. But this is the words of the song that he played that day on his violin. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It's the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine, the night when Christ was born. Beautiful words penned by this poet to describe the words of Luke chapter two, that very first nativity scene, the night that Mary in a manger gave birth to baby Jesus. We're all very familiar with that scene. Some of us have already got our nativity scenes set up in our homes. It's a beautiful, idyllic display. There's a beautiful stable, the cattle are lowing. We don't even know what that means, but they are lowing. And I can remember as a kid, being in a nativity play at school. And it was just wonderful. The parents came, they loved to watch us. We performed this. This happened a lot in schools in England, in grade schools, we would perform uh, the nativity play every year. Kids would dress up, we'd have tea towels on our heads and we'd wear bathrobes and we looked like shepherds and wise men and there was a Joseph and a Mary and someone would be the donkey. And I can remember, and I've told this story before, as a kid, I vividly remember having these two yogurt pots. I told my mum, I need two yogurt pots, the teachers told me. And I remember putting glitter and sticking stickers on them and making them really pretty because I had a very important role in the, the nativity play. I was the sound effect for the donkey. When I did this, it made the clip-clop sound of the donkey. I know. Thanks, Mrs. Bignall. The most important story ever told. And I'm not Joseph. I'm not a wife. I'm not even a shepherd. I'm the sound effect of a donkey. Well, look at me now, Mrs. Bignall. <laughs> but I remember acting out this play, and it was just so beautiful. But let's be honest. I don't think it was really like that. I don't think it was the holy night that we sing about for Mary. Mary was a teenage girl, heavily pregnant. She's just traveled 80 to 100 miles to get to Bethlehem, the town of her husband's-to-be's um, birth for a census. She's riding on a donkey. All this distance she rides, ready to give birth, and then when she arrives, there's no room. She ends up uh, in the place where animals would go to seek shelter, and that's where she gives birth, an unsterile, there's no epidural. I mean, it's just an awful place to bring a baby into the world. And yet as we sing this song, it makes it sound beautiful. But the reality is for Mary, it was a night full of pain and trauma and giving birth to this baby. And the poet, as he's written the words to this song, I think he's captured something of what must have taken place that night. Because one of my favorite lines in the song, it's the line we're gonna focus on in this message this morning, and we'll try and do that with each carol. We'll try and find one part, one line, one theme of the carol, and kind of focus on that. The, the line I wanna focus on 
is where the song says, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. A thrill of hope as the weary world rejoices. Then it says, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. So I wonder why the poet chose that particular phrase. As he read Luke chapter two, maybe he was familiar with the history of the Bible. Maybe he was familiar with the story that at this time, uh, the Jews were living in captivity to the Romans. It was a difficult time to be alive at that time. Mary's ridden all the way to Bethlehem. Maybe he was thinking about the troubled world that he currently lived in. 19th century France was not without its problems. It spanned from the French Revolution in 1789 to World War I in 1914. Maybe that was the weary world that he was thinking about. But if we're honest, even today, we can look around, we can read the news, and and we can relate to the idea of, of a weary world. Just the pain and the sorrow and the difficulties of things that are happening around us. But what I love about the song is it then says there's a thrill of hope. That's what the birth of Jesus represented in this weary world, a thrill of hope. In the chaos of that night, hope was born. For hundreds of years, the the people of Israel had been putting their hope in the idea that one day a Messiah will come, God will come, and he will rescue us. He will set us free from our our difficult uh, circumstances that we find ourselves in. And that night, the weary world rejoiced. And I pray that whatever weary world you might find yourself in this morning, that a thrill of hope will give you reason to rejoice this Christmas time. Because even in the chaos of this night, you can find yourself arriving at a new and glorious morn. And I want us to hear this song over the next few weeks and think about that idea that whatever we're going through in our lives, there is hope that a new and glorious morn is coming. Think about that night, what it must have been like for Mary. But then think about what happens the next day. When the sun came up, a savior had been born. And on this new and glorious morn, everything is different. Because a new day with Christ can change everything. And that's what happened on that very first Christmas You might be in the nights right now, but have hope. I believe a new and glorious morn is coming. You know, to understand more of what was going on in Luke chapter two, when Jesus was born, you almost have to go back even further and look at the history of Israel, what they were going through leading up to this point. Israel had suffered all sorts of difficulties and about 600 years before the birth of Jesus, Israel was conquered by its surrounding countries. They were taken into captivity. Their temple was destroyed. It was a time of misery for the people of Israel. There was a man at the time, he was a prophet. His name was Jeremiah. And Jeremiah wrote about what was happening in Israel at that time, the pain and the despair that he was feeling. He actually wrote a book in the Bible called Lamentations. It's a book in the Old Testament, and Lamentations literally means whining. There is a book in the Bible called the Book of Whinings. It's there. 
because he was hurting like everyone else in Jerusalem. He was pouring out his hurt and his pain at what he was seeing happen to the nation around him. Listen to what he said in Lamentations chapter three, verses 19 through 20. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. If you read the whole book, it's just his heart broken at what he's seen happen to his, his people, his nation destroyed around him. And if that's all that was in this book of whining, it would be a pretty despairing book to read. But Jeremiah was a prophet, a prophet of God. And, and as he wrote these words, he said, God, this is how I'm feeling. I feel wrecked and destroyed. My heart breaks for the situation in which I find myself. And I love that this is in the Bible because it gives us the permission to be real and say, God, this hurts. This situation I find myself facing right now is painful. What's going on with my family, my work, uh, whatever it might be right now, my health, I'm, I'm, I'm hurting. And God wants to hear us share those thoughts, those prayers. But listen to how Jeremiah continues on. Because despite his pain and misery and suffering, despite the, um, the brokenness around him that he sees, he remembers God. Because in Lamentations chapter three, verse 21, he says, yet I still dare to hope. I still dare to hope when I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. Man, those are powerful words for anyone to speak. But when you're aware of what Jeremiah is going through, his, his brokenness, his hurt, his pain, and what's happening at that time in Israel, to see that he is able to say, but I still have hope. And I think that's what the author of this famous Christmas carol tapped into as he was reading Luke chapter two, that this, this story was filled with the idea that hope has come into the world. Hope has been born, a thrill of hope. It's amazing what hope in the Lord can do. And I wanna show you this morning just, just three simple ideas, three simple ideas of, of what it can look like when, when you choose to put your hope in Jesus this Christmas season. I hope and pray that whatever brought you here this morning, that every one of us will find uh, an opportunity, a reason to turn afresh and say, Jesus, I wanna put my hope in you. For some of us, it'll be a decision that we, we choose to make. For other of us, it'll be like reaching out for a lifeline. We feel like we're drowning and we're like, God, I need to feel that lifeline. I need some hope in this situation. So let's look at the words of this prophet and, and, and find what he says here about hope. Because I think one of the first things he says is that a new day with Christ brings exactly what you need. A new day with Christ brings exactly what you need. Here's what I mean. In verse 24, he said this. He says, I say to myself, that's how verse 24 started. I say to myself, 
And I don't know when you do your saying to yourself. Some of us, it's in the morning, we get up early, we, we get a cup of coffee and we just kind of think and reflect on the day ahead and maybe during that time we, we speak to ourselves. Others of us, we're driving through the car or driving in the car. And for some, it's in the shower. You know, we're having those conversations with ourselves as we reflect on the things going on in our lives. What do you say to yourself in that moment? What are the words you're saying in those moments? Because listen to what Jeremiah said. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. The Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will, what? Hope in him. He says, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. Some translations uh, put this verse, they say, the Lord is my portion. And the, the meaning behind that word of inheritance or portion means the Lord is my provider. He will give me what I need. Now at Christmas time, we might have to have this conversation with our kids a little bit about the difference between what we need and what we want. Okay, there's a lot of wants that the kids are hoping to be under the Christmas tree, but there are needs and there are wants. And Jeremiah says, it's not that he gives me everything I want, but he does give me what I need. And the word he uses there, portion, inheritance, is kind of a, a throwback to what happened hundreds of years before when the Israelites were working their way through the desert with Moses. We're gonna hear more of that story next year in season two of Moses, in case you came back this week thinking we were continuing on with Moses. He's coming next year. When the Israelites were in Israel, oh, sorry, in the wilderness, we learned that every day God gave them what they needed to eat and what they needed to drink. Just enough for each day. He supplied their needs. And Jeremiah was saying, my world is broken. Everything is a mess, but I'm gonna trust. I'm gonna hope in him because I know that God is my portion. God is my inheritance. If I trust him, even though things are difficult, he will provide what I need. I got to have lunch this week with a dear friend with him of mine, a great mentor, a guy by the name of John King. He used to be the pastor of Riverside Community Church uh, in Peoria. He was instrumental in helping us uh, plant Connect here in Washington. And we were talking about some things and he shared a story with me that I'm gonna share now that, that fits so well with this idea of when we put our hope in Jesus, he will give us what we need. John uh, preached at some churches here in the area and uh, he was tied, Riverside, the church was tied with the Dream Center at the time and uh, there was a big need at the Dream Center. People were coming in uh, without shoes and they were looking for shoes and they have a hope store there where they donate clothing to people in need but they were short on shoes. So he preached this sermon at this church and at the end, the, the challenge was, bring us your shoes. So that morning, dozens, hundreds of people came down to the front and they took off their shoes and they left them there at church as a donation to the Dream Center. Then they left and went back to their cars, bare feet, <laughs> drove home. I remember working with John at the time. We would get calls on Monday morning from the church. Hey, we've had someone call. They realized after they left, they really love those shoes. <laughs> They're so comfortable. If they come, they'll give $500, but can they just have their shoes back? They said one guy, he was a runner and he had this chip in his shoe that tracked his runs and he forgot. And he said, I need to come back. And he was there for an hour digging through all the shoes. Just, he says, you can keep the shoes. I just need that little chip back. Well, he said that he got to speak in Brazil to 10,000 pastors and leaders. 
And they knew of this, this time he had done this. And he was about to head into the jungle to reach some, some pastors of very small churches who were reaching people in very remote places and had great needs in their life. And word had got to the leader of this group in Brazil that they too needed shoes. So he said, Pastor, would you preach your message this morning and ask for people to bring their shoes? And he did. He said person after person came and they, they gave their shoes and he got to take them the next day up the Amazon to these remote places. But he said one couple came to him, a pastor and his wife. And they said, Pastor, as you can see, our shoes, we can't give these. They're very old, torn up shoes. And he looked down and they were, they were, they were in total disrepair. He said, well, help yourself to some shoes. You need shoes. Come and get a pair for me. He said, no, 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 no. We don't want to come to get. We still want to give. We feel like God has, has challenged us that we too should give. So my wife and I, we would like to give you our wedding rings. He says, no, 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 I can't do it. He says, please, don't stop me. I really feel this is what God wants us to do. So right there, he gave his wedding ring and her wedding ring to John. The next day, he's in the jungle the very first church he arrives at. This pastor's there and he's talking about what he's doing. He's so grateful for these shoes. He says, we'll definitely be able to get these to many people. It will help so many people because we are in so much need here. Just last month, our church was in such financial trouble that my wife and I, we had to sell our wedding rings just to be able to pay the bills. John said, hey, try these on. He said, they both fit perfectly. God knew what you needed when you made that sacrifice. God knew what you needed. Such an incredible story. And I think that's what Jeremiah is talking about here. I will hope in the Lord because he's my inheritance. He's my portion. He will give. I, in the midst of my difficulty, I'm gonna hope, put my trust in him. The second thing that Jeremiah really kind of um, nails here is the idea that a new day with Christ brings us hope to keep going. A new day with Christ brings us the hope to keep going. Listen to what he says in verse 25. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. Those who hope in God, the Lord is good to them. I heard this quote once, I thought it was interesting. It says, we as people, we can live 40 days or so without water. We can live eight days or so, sorry, 40 days or so without food. Eight days or so without water. We can live for five to 10 minutes or so without oxygen, but we can only live a few seconds without hope. And I think some of us can relate to that quote this morning. There have been some times where we felt like we've lost hope in a situation that is devastating. In his book, Good to Great, the author, Jim Collins, uh, he tells a story about a, uh, a man, and, and a military guy by the name of Admiral Jim Stockdale. Jim Stockdale was famous because during the Vietnam War, he was captured by the enemy. He was the highest ranking United States military officer in the Hanoi Hilton prisoner of war camp. He was tortured over 20 times during his eight-year imprisonment between 1965 and 1973. He lived out the war without any prisoner's rights, no release date, and no certainty as to whether he would even survive to see his family again. But being surrounded by other prisoners there, he felt it was his responsibility to lead, to lead his fellow prisoners of war. So together they would come up with ways to, to see how they could survive unbroken 
At one point, Stockdale actually beat himself with a stool and cut himself with a razor, deliberately disfiguring himself so that they couldn't videotape him to send images back to the United States to say the prisoners were being taken care of. He came up with um, codes that the prisoners could use to tap out to one another so they could give one another hope. He would send secret messages back through letters to his wife, risking his life. And the author Collins, he says, I had this chance to meet Stockdale. And he says, the question I had to know the answer to was, how could you deal with the uncertainty of your fate, the brutality of your captors? And this is what Stockdale said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted, not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. He had hope. He, he used this experience to define who he would be. And in the same way, I wanna challenge you this morning, whatever situation you find yourself in this morning, don't give up hope. It might feel like it's the middle of the night. You might feel like you are a part of a weary world. But a thrill of hope can change everything. The break of a new and glorious morn can transform all. You know, the last thing I think that Jeremiah really um, understands here about putting your faith and hope and trust in God can be found in verse 26. You see, a new day with Christ, it brings the help that you're seeking. A new day with Christ brings the help that you're seeking. Listen to what he says in verse 26. It is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. It's good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. Jeremiah has spent three chapters pouring out his heart about his misery of seeing his city destroyed, his people taken captive, the temple destroyed. He's sharing all these terrible things. But he says, I'm gonna hope. And I'm gonna hope in God. And I'm gonna wait quietly for salvation. I believe we're gonna be rescued. That's what Jeremiah was saying. I believe in the midst of this dark time, God will save us. Salvation is what Jeremiah was hoping for. The Jews knew that a Messiah would come one day and rescue them. They had no idea when, who, or even what he would look like. In fact, they actually had their own ideas of what the Messiah would look like. So none of them even believed that this baby born in a major was him. But this was the hope that night that was born in Bethlehem. Sometimes we make the same mistake as the people um, did in the time of Jesus. The, the salvation was there, the answer to their cries, the answer to their prayers, he was right there. But they looked everywhere else for the Messiah. Jesus is right here. He wants a relationship with you, he wants to be your salvation, but we, we look everywhere else first. We look to all sorts of different places to find our help and our hope. And this morning, I believe that Jesus wants to be your salvation. Because some of you right now, you're in the night. They're screaming. There's no epidural. The baby's coming. The cows are lowing. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this weary world, the darkness of this night, 
you're reminded that because Jesus was born, you can have hope in the middle of the night. Because Jesus is here, you can have hope in the middle of the night because a new day with Christ is coming. And a new day with Christ will change everything. But just think about this for a second as we close out. Somebody who didn't believe in God wrote the words to the song we sang this morning. Somebody who himself didn't believe in God wrote the words to O Holy Night. That tells us you can know the story of Christmas without knowing the Savior. This Christmas, I don't want you just to know the story of Jesus. I want you to know Jesus. Because many of us here this morning who have made that decision to follow Jesus, we know the hope we find in him. We know how dark the night can be sometimes, but the, the sense of peace and hope knowing that the morning will come and that a new day with Jesus is the brightest hope we can find. We have a prayer team who gather at the front every Sunday at the end of the service. Maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're visiting, maybe with your family or your friends. I would hate for you to leave knowing the story of Jesus, but not knowing Jesus. So when we're done this morning, I'd invite you to come down and uh, you can meet with them. They'd love to, to pray with you, tell you more about what it looks like to follow Jesus. Maybe you're in the midst of a dark night and you just need some prayer. They would love to pray with you this morning and help you find the hope that you're looking for in this weary, weary world. Let's pray. Father, in this weary world, we thank you that at Christmas we're reminded that there is a thrill of hope, that that's who you were, Jesus. You were hope in the midst of the darkness and you still are to this day. God, I pray that um, everyone here this morning will get to discover the life-changing power of, of putting our hope in you. In the midst of his brokenness, Jeremiah chose to, instead of looking at the situation around him, look at you and say, yeah, God, this is difficult. I am miserable. I'm whining right now. But God, I believe you are still there, that you will send salvation, that I can hope and trust in you. I pray that everyone here this morning will find that same hope and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.